Hey! Are you here? Are you here? Look, if you if you aren't here, what what's the point in starting the episode? Think about it. This is the Paul Leslie Hour, now in our 19th year. And on today's show, we're continuing our exploration of singer-songwriter Bob Dylan's new book, The Philosophy of Modern Song, published by Simon & Schuster. Today is another book talk. Our guest on this episode, taped November 2nd, 2022, is with a downright gifted and knowledgeable person, Jeff Slate is his name, and he's qualified to talk Bob Dylan. Jeff's a singer-songwriter, music journalist, a rock historian, and radio personality. You seriously need to check out his stuff, Jeff Slate. Now, Jeff Slate is passionate about great music of all kinds. Here are some interesting tidbits. Slate wrote the liner notes to the Bob Dylan bootleg release, Mo Blood, Mo Tracks. <laughs> Jeff also wrote great pieces about Dylan for The New Yorker and Esquire. His specialized expertise in the Dylan world has been noted, but he's also written about The Beatles, Roy Orbison, The Rolling Stones, and others. Now, you're going to love Jeff Slate's insight into the new Dylan book, The Philosophy of Modern Song. Paul can't wait for you to listen. You know, it's worth mentioning that we're trying our best to double the audience on our YouTube channel before we hit the 20-year mark. Yeah, it's free, and it's fast. Won't you please click that button that says, Subscribe. Thank you. Oh, you can also help us in our mission to help people tell their stories. Simply visit www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. And we thank you wholeheartedly. Jeff Slate, come forth. It's time to start another show. Sounds great. Sounds A freewheeling great. conversation. Freewheeling. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm ready when you are. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very pleased to be joined by Jeff Slate. I think he's a multifaceted individual, a singer-songwriter from New York City. Uh, he's also uh, a critic, a journalist. He's written for everything from Rolling Stone magazine, The New Yorker, Wall Street Journal, could keep on listening. Also, a serious XM personality. He's written liner notes for everyone from Bob Dylan to the Rolling Stones. Quite quite a list of accomplishments, and we're honored to have him here to talk about the new book from Bob Dylan, which you can kind of see in, in the corner of my shoulder there, The Philosophy of Modern Song. So, Jeff, how are you? I'm I'm great. I'm I've read the book twice now, so I'm I'm uh, happy to talk about it. Read the book twice. All right. So but based on that, could we assume that you enjoyed it? I did. I, you know, I had I had to read it. Um, I got it a little bit early and I had to read it kind of in a mad dash because I was going to have to uh, have a working on a project around it. And, and so um, 
you know, I didn't, I, I was, you know, I was making notes and I was, you know, kind of annotating my copy and, you know, all that stuff, but it wasn't read for enjoyment, mm-hmm. you know? So over the weekend, I read it more for enjoyment. And, and I thought that was a, a better way to do it. <laughs> it's, it's true. There's the, the, the review and then there's the, the chance to kind of uh, absorb and enjoy. Now, you just to, to tell all the viewers and listeners out there, you just said that you were listening to the Theme Time Radio Hour with your host, Bob Dylan. Uh, is, is there a connection between that and having just read the book twice? You know, it certainly there's something about it that certainly reminds me of of Theme Time Radio Hour. It's certainly an extension or a sequel or um you know, it's in the same Bob Dylan universe, that's for sure. Um, you know, the the way he writes is very similar to the way he talks uh, as a host or DJ or whatever you want to call it in Theme Time Radio Hour. And the song choices are, are similar. They're all over the place. They're stylistically, you know, they draw largely from, you know, when he was a teenager mm-hmm. and and also with with kind of, you know, left turns and right turns to his preteen years or, you know, later in the 20th century. So, um, yeah, I, I think they're all, a lot of things in, in Bob Dylan's life and career seem to be on a continuum. It's just that it's not obvious until much later. This is fairly straightforward that it's, it's related to theme time radio. I was listening to the Halloween podcast or Halloween episode because I didn't get a chance to, Hmm. On Halloween, my kids, I sent it to my kids and some friends. Um, but I, uh, you know, I was, I had an hour to kill before we were going to talk. So I put on, put on Bob. Was the book all you expected? Um, I didn't have any expectation. <laughs> you know, I mean, once, you know, the, the, the title didn't give much away. It's a very highfalutin title. But I think that's with with Bob, everything is sometimes it's either, you know, total reality or completely tongue in cheek or a little bit of both. This is a little bit of both, I think. Um, But then I saw, like everybody else, the song list. And I thought I immediately made that connection. We were just talking about the theme time radio hour that it that it was all over the map stylistically, that it was you know, it mirrored probably what we think Bob Dylan's record collection is something like, or what he likes to listen to, um, both as a, you know, a guy who devours popular culture as well as somebody who's a real music lover. I'm, I think we can all agree on that. Um, but then, you know, once you sit down with it and, and, and it, there's no, you know, there's no introduction, nothing. You're just, you're right in with Detroit city. So, it's, um, you know, I think pretty quickly I figured out, like everybody else, what the pattern was going to be. You know, he was going to riff on the song. He was going to riff on the writer. And then he was going to kind of give, <laughs> sum it up with his, his Bobness, you know, his thoughts. And <laughs> I, I love that format. He doesn't stick to it strictly throughout. Um, but I love that format. And, you know, once you get that, it's, it's a book, you know, you can certainly read it cover to cover, but I think you can read it if, you know, you want to listen to that record, you can just pull out that one, you can stick it in the bathroom and just read a, 
you know, a chapter or a song a day or, or, you know, maybe put a couple of songs on while you're in the shower and read it before while you're on the john. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to approach this, uh, um, the book and not all of them are, and most of them are not all that precious, which I think, think is, is probably the best way to take it. As a songwriter yourself, what did you think about the songs? I mean, it, it was everything from country, Western, uh, I mean, goodness, Mac the Knife, Beyond the Sea, really is a great variety of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, any book that has, like I said, Detroit City and Pancho and Lefty and, you know, everything in between, London Calling and Pump It Up, um, is is a, a, a strange and fantastic book in and of itself. That it's written by Bob Dylan is great. You know, I think I think what I'll take away from it as a songwriter is maybe yet to be seen. I didn't I didn't read it. I didn't re read it for pointers. You know, there's there's everything and nothing to be learned by Bob Dylan. I could never aspire to be that kind of songwriter, or that kind of storyteller. He's a whole other level of of um, songwriter. Um, but I think there's little clues in in the way he writes and his observations about each song for anybody who's a writer of any kind, or even just as a conversationalist, you know, the things he focuses on in those are, are, um, uh, they're, they're not really what you would, you know, focus on. I've, I've used this example many times, but I think my buddy Bill Flanagan interviewed him maybe 15 years ago or so when one of the, one of his albums came out and, um, you know, he asked him about, I think it was outside his hotel room window, there were train tracks and Bob's, Bob wanted to talk not about the train tracks, but about the dog by the train tracks. And it was a three-legged dog. And that was more interesting to him than hmm. the train tracks. And I think that's, that's what's unique about him and his perspective of songwriting. You know, the nuts and bolts are there. The performances are talked about a little bit of the history and, 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 what the song meant within popular culture, but some of his, you know, he, he uses this sort of scat, you know, free association way of writing about the songs that are impressionistic that give away a lot of what he took from. Them. It's not, you know, it's not maybe what I would take and it's not maybe what anybody would take. It's what Bob would take. And I think those are the clues to sort of the way he sees the world that can help anybody who's writing anything look beyond the obvious. It's a long way to answer a short question. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> no, no. It was very good stuff. Well, I'm curious because we have so many people uh, who are our listeners or, or viewers out there who they are songwriters themselves. Do you think that this book could help them as, in their quest as a songwriter? Yeah. I mean, any, Look, I think as a songwriter, read everything, hmm. you know, and and I, and I think I think don't read songs about songwriting. I mean, don't read books about songwriting. Write songs. Uh, that that's my advice. And I'm certainly no, um, you know, I'm not an A level guy or anything. But I I think in my experience, it's it's even when there's not inspiration to just write for the pure pure craftsmanship of it to try to you know. Give yourself a task. I'm going to write a song about Halloween today. Or I, you know, John Lennon said, 
in one of his last interviews, you know, if you, if you told me you needed a song for a movie about a banana, I could write you a song about a banana. Might not be the greatest song in the world, but I could do it because I'm a craftsman and that's what I do. I think anything that flexes your creative muscle is is good. I think with regard to this book, you know, I think there's so many different things you can take from it. You can you can certainly look at the songs he's elevated by including them in the book and say, you know, say to yourself, you know, make yourself a playlist or, uh, you know, I shared one recently on Twitter that had all the songs and um, though not all Bob's versions and, and, you know, you could just listen, you know, and see like read the book and listen to the songs and sort of see what do I take from the structure and the rules they adhere to and the rules they break you know, and, and what's great about, you know, what, what changes the song in the performance, you know, sometimes the songs can be not great songs, but they're elevated by the performance Um, or, Mm. you know, by the, by the person interpreting them, you know, some of the songs Frank Sinatra recorded weren't the greatest songs in the world, but he elevated them with, with, you know, sort of polish he put on them with his voice and his phrasing and all that. So I think, you know, there's, there's, you know, that's a roundabout way of, of answering your question. I think the, the short version is, you know, read the book and, and, and take of it, you know, what you will, you Mm. know, everybody wants to, everybody wants to like pin Bob down. And and I like to take my Bob Dylan the way he presents himself. Mm. You know, I don't want to read a biography. I don't want to know what he ate for breakfast. I don't want to know where he was on August 13th. I, I, you know, if, if he wants me to read this book, I'm going to read this book and I'm going to, you know, in part, I think, get some wisdom uh, that he's imparted and, and, and that may evolve over time too. So I think that's, that's the key thing. Sort of don't sit with it once, maybe read it now and read it again in a year. And you may have a completely different take on what he said or what he gave you. Interesting. Now, was there any song you mentioned right off the bat, Detroit City, which is one of my favorite songs, but was there any song that in particular stood out to you in some way? Um, well, look, I mean, that's, that's a really difficult question. You're not the first person to ask me that, the t- because there's so many eras and so many genres dealt with. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting who didn't get included. You know, he, he included a couple of Little Richard, but no Chuck Berry. Right. For my money, you know, Chuck is much closer to Bob Dylan than Little Richard. But but clearly Bob, because he came of age and idolized Little Richard, identifies more with, with Little Richard than he does um, Chuck Berry, at least for the purposes of this book. Who knows? Um, but, you know, that he included two... Two Little Richard songs was really like a thrill to me because I, I, you know, I, I discovered Little Richard as a very young guy. And, and, you know, he was one of the people who was really like, you know, a god to me as a young, young guy, even before I was a musician. And then certainly as a musician, because he was just doing it completely his own way in his own way. You know, like he, he was unlike anybody else. Um, and I think a lot of the people in this book are that. So the, the Richard songs were important to me. I love that he included London Calling. It's not the Clash song I would have picked, hmm. um, but it's certainly a song um, Bob Dylan is familiar with. You know, he's went to a bunch of Clash 
concerts because Jacob was a fan when when Jacob was a kid, when they were still around. Uh, so he was exposed to them when they were really at their peak as a band. Um, so it's interesting, you know, like I can think of five other, maybe 10 or more Clash songs that might better, you know, you would think would be Bob's favorites, but he picked London Calling. Why did he pick London Calling? You know, and, and it's the, again, a lot of times with these songs, it's the imagery and the wordplay, you know, the mm. literacy of these songs is what, you know, they, they've all got great melodies. They've all got great performances. Um, but the literacy of those things, uh, of the songs individually, he does the same thing with Pump It Up. You know, the, the way he scats over, you know, his impressions of what Elvis Costello is saying as a singer and a songwriter, uh, it's the same with The Clash. It's, it's an amazing thing. And so, so those, those stood out to me because they're songs that are near and dear to me. Um, but then, then there were songs that I didn't know all that well um, that I, you know, I had certainly heard over the course of my life, mm -hmm. but I went back and I kind of re-examined them through the lens of this book. And I think that's, what's really cool about it is, you know, there are songs that were, you know, kind of not throwaway songs, but there are some songs in here that are for want of a better way of saying it, novelty songs. Mm. And, and they're elevated by what he writes about them. And when you go back and hear them, you hear them with new ears, I think. And, and that was really cool. Something that you're touching on is, is, I think, really interesting. And that is, I had Alan Light on. and uh, he, What's that? Alan's a good pal, yeah. He, uh, he was saying that, kind of similar to what you were saying, in that, you know, there's a lot of people that he's, like, if you look at Bill Flanagan again, the, the people he named you don't see like there's no Gordon Lightfoot song in here. There's no, there, you know, there's no uh, Joni Mitchell. There's no jo Joan Baez. Right. <laughs> it, it, it's a, uh, it's kind of interesting that I figured, well, eventually we'll get to, you know, if you could read my mind or something by Lightfoot mm. or, but no. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, people, people are going on and on about how there are 66 songs. 66 songs isn't that many songs. Right. You know, I mean, think of how many songs Bob Dylan's probably heard and loved in his lifetime. Right. You certainly can't include them all. And, and again, if you're going to include, you know, what I loved about the book was there wasn't a lot of overlap in the styles or the style of performance. In other words, if, if you get into, um, you know, that you don't, I, I, in other words, you wouldn't want it to be a, a book that's just great singer songwriter tunes because it would just be, you know, it'd be Jackson Brown and Leonard Cohn and Joni Mitchell and Gordon Lightfoot. And then you'd be, it would be very genre specific, right? Whereas here, you know, he, he picked representative tunes, in my mind, it seems, representative tunes that were significant to him or that at the moment he just felt strongly about. Like he, he included Warren Zevon rather than, um, you know, like I said, Leonard Cohen or Neil Young or Gordon Lightfoot. And I, I think that's a cool choice because he's, everybody knows Bob Dylan's connection to Gordon Lightfoot and Gordon Lightfoot's song, certainly right now in, in, in our generation. 
Um, but they might not be so aware that he was a big Warren Zevon fan. Right. And I think so. It, and Warren's catalog deserves to be reheard and reassessed and and thought about, especially by younger singer songwriters and younger Bob Dylan acolytes. So I think, um, you know, Bob's always the trickster. He's he's playing a little sleight of hand here. I think, you know, he made representative choices. And I think that's that's probably what he was trying to do there. But God knows I can't read Bob Dylan's mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, speaking of not being able to read his mind, you're going to think probably this is a very speculative question. But why do you think he wrote this book? What do you think the motivation was? Um. Wow, I couldn't even begin to guess. I, you know, the thing the thing that I loved about Theme Time Radio Hour and the thing that I, I love about this book is they're fun. Mm. You know, people, many people think of Bob Dylan as a very serious kind of sour guy. You know, he doesn't talk much in concert. He doesn't give a lot of interviews. Um, you know, a lot of his humor is ironic or tongue in cheek is, you know, it's not, it's not to everybody's, you know, not everybody gets the references, you know, when he, when he makes jokes, but I'll, I'll tell you, I had a, I, I met Tom Petty many years ago and, and we had a long conversation about Bob and, and I, I didn't think I would ever see Tom again. And I, I was lucky enough to, but I thought, well, ah, shit, if this is the last time I'm going to see him. I'm going to ask him what's Bob Dylan like. And he said, and he said, you know what, Bob Dylan is the funniest guy you'll ever meet. You wouldn't think that, but he's a really funny guy to hang out with. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Kind of changed my perspective. It's not just, you know, the obvious stuff. The humor is there, you know, in between the lines or sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not so obvious. So I think my guess would be with this book was he was trying to have some fun, you know, rather than you know, writing another memoir would be serious business. Not that it couldn't have humor in it, but it, it, you know, people were after the bar he set with Chronicles, people were expecting, you know, a big, important, you know, word from on high from Bob Dylan. This is lighter and more fun. And it's, it's a great Christmas gift. You know, it's even, you know, it's got that gift book shape and lots of illustrations and it's easy. You know, it's that bathroom read short, pithy chapters. So I think, you know, he was having fun with the, the rubric he was working within and, and, and that would be my guess, but I, you know, who knows, right. That is a, that's a tough question to answer. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I punted that one a little bit, <laughs> but, but I, I like what you said. I like what you said though. I mean, it, sometimes the, the most simple explanation is in fact, it. it's like, yeah. because I wanted to, cause it was fun, you know, <laughs> yeah. enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he thanks the crew from Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, you know, you <laughs> right. know, you're, you know, you, you, you know, right off the bat that he's um, it's not a weighty, serious excursion in. And I think that's part of it, too. You know, like the philosophy of modern song, that's got to be tongue in cheek. Right? right. I mean, you know, that's got to be. So if you're taking everything as you read. And then you get, you know, then you get the dedication and the and the thank yous crew at Dunkin' Donuts. You're like, okay, he's having fun here. And he's not poking fun at us. He's right. having a good time doing this. So that's kind of what I meant. I would really like to get your thoughts on this. It occurred to me 
the song Murder Most Fell mm-hmm. is, you know, it, it's a really interesting song kind of juxtaposing these two things, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, and then a list of songs. And here we are about two years later, there's this list of songs. Yeah. Now, I know people, you know, somebody's going to nail me for like, quit trying to find meanings and things. But is it possible there's some kind of greater message, something about the importance of songs? I mean, he's com- in the song. It's like, there's no request. It's play this song, play this song, play this song. What do you think? Huh? Yeah, I mean. You have to imagine that Bob Dylan is aware of how seriously we take everything he says. Right. And for better or worse, you know, I'm sure there are days when he's not all that comfortable with how seriously we take every utterance from Bob Dylan. Um, But I do think, you know, and I touched on this before when I was talking about Warren Zevon, I think there are people in here, like Dion, for instance. He ends with Dion. He clearly wanted to like remind us that Dion is probably greater than we remember him. Hmm. You know? Similarly with Warren Zevon and some of the other writers. And and you know, there are detours in the book to songs that are lighter or more humorous, or you know, maybe um that we we shouldn't elevate. You know, he kind of says, you know, this is this, it's not that this is a great song, it's just a, a song worth talking about, right? Um so and and that could just be the way I read it, but that's certainly what I took away from some of them. But um you know, I've got to imagine Bob Dylan is a relatively self-aware guy. I think he knows when he's giving us a, a, a list of 66 songs it's not going to be just the 66 that are on it but the you know 60,000 that aren't right uh, and, and I think that's important too um and the whys you know for each of them um and I would I would you know I would go one further than you and add to murder most foul theme time radio hour because those songs were obviously curated I mean those yeah. are songs that you know certainly not every song was like Bob Dylan's favorite song in the world, but there were, there were again detours into old America or old pop culture that he wanted us to remember, you know, that he wanted us to listen to and think about. And I think um, that's certainly how I took murder most foul, you know, that there's a lot to chew on in in that and i think the same thing with uh with the book it's you know sure you can like i said jokingly you know you can use it as a bathroom read or you can sit down and really dissect it you could teach a you could teach a songwriting course about this or even you know maybe a semester of bob dylan studies could be built just around the book and the whys and the why nots and the list and the ones that didn't make it and his contemporaries who aren't mentioned and those who are the people who inspired him. You know, there's a lot of, you know, somebody pointed out in a review that the majority of the, of the songs uh, come from the year when Bob was 15 years old. Hmm. And I think that's fascinating. You know, it's like a third of the song come from the mid fifties when he was a teenager. 
I, I think that's like there's something about Bob's origin story there um, that, um, you know, I don't think that it's something he's trying to tell us, but it, I think it does tell us something. I'm not sure what it is yet, but I, I think it's there. Kind of a side note, there, there's a, a couple of connections between Bob Dylan and the late Jerry Lee Lewis. And you were mentioning uh, some of the old originators of rock and roll. I'm curious, did you ever encounter Jerry Lee Lewis or interview him? I never interviewed Jerry Lee Lewis. I saw him once um, at uh, a show here. I, I, I believe he did a two for show with Little Richard. Hmm. This is maybe 10 or 15 years ago here in New York City at a small, relatively small place. Um, I think it was at B.B. King's in, in Midtown. Um, you know, he was an older, calmer Jerry Lee, but he was ornery. He was giving the band shit and he was, you know, he was he was tough. I mean, he was a tough guy. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying, it's a long time ago and I didn't expect the question. So yeah, who's out of uh, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, look, J- Jerry Lee is funny. My, my, my daughter, when he died, my daughter texted me and said, I know I should know who this guy is, but I don't really remember you ever playing him in the house. I thought, wow, it's really interesting. Huh. And she's kind of right because I'm more, you know, my top tier is always Richard and, and, Chuck Berry and, you know, Roy Orbison. Then you get to like Johnny Cash, Waylon, Willie, Chris Christopherson, you know, there's kind of like, but, but let's stick with the sun people, Carl Perkins, right. You know, that, that sort of, you know, those are, those are the people I would pull out on any day and listen to and listen to the whole record. Buddy Holly's another one, the Everly's are, are another one. Cause they were certainly, crucial in the next phase of rock and roll you know eddie cochran and and we were joking about this because you know the list gets pretty long eddie cochran gene vincent you know i'm not i haven't even really thought about jerry lee yet the two but if you just have those two songs whole lot of shaking and great balls of fire he he was immortal then you know that that set him in the history of rock and roll the thing is he made many records after that for right. Sun, you know, in the, in the, in the early seventies that were great records. The thing like, especially Carl Perkins that Jerry Lee did was he added the country to rock and roll, you know, in a way that some of the black artists were more, they added the R and B to rock and roll. And I think it was really, not that they didn't have country in them, but they, you know, they had a country blues, whereas Jerry Lee added like real roots country. Um, and, and so I think, you know, he's, he's really important. He's certainly important to Bob Dylan. You know, you can hear, um, anything up tempo Bob does, but, but even in those, the mid sixties, more country tinged albums, there's much more Jerry Lee in those records than there is Carl Perkins or Johnny Cash, even though he loved Johnny and Johnny was around at the time. You know, if you really listen you can, you can hear latter day or, you know, sort of mid period, Jerry Lee, as opposed to the sun records, Jerry Lee, uh, there's some, I'm, people are going to correct me. I'm talking about sort of, you know, mid sixties, early seventies, Jerry Lee, when he got back with sun records and was making good albums again, after he'd been sort of persona non grata in the music business for a while, for obvious reasons. 
Um, you know, the other thing is Jerry Lee's iconoclastic in a way that I think Bob Dylan and and people like Bob, you know, Chuck, um, Keith Richards, people like that can really identify with. You know, he absolutely did things his own way and was unapologetic. He did not care what you thought about him marrying his 14 year old cousin. Fuck you. I mean, that was really his attitude. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, we all have opinions on that. And certainly it's not a good look. I mean, that was the thing, you know, there was a, there was an interview, the LA times did a piece with, with his, um, his 14 year old bride, who's now a woman in her seventies. And that was what my daughters picked up on. Right. They were like, wow. you know, cause they love Richard and they love Chuck Berry, you know, they know him from around the house and all that, but they were like, wow, this is, this is out there. You know, in 2022, that's bonkers. And um, so it, it's, you know, Bob mentioned him on the stage the other night and, you know, paid tribute to him, played a song. Um, I think that's important because it reminds us that Jerry Lee wasn't just the tabloid fodder. Right. He was a guy, you know, he was a flesh and blood guy, obviously, but he his music is immortal. You know, and that's what Bob said. You know, Jerry Lee is going to live forever. We all know that. And, and it's, it's true. It's just, it's a complicated legacy, much more than, you know, sort of buddies or, or even Richard or Chuck Berry, a very complicated legacy. So I always like to let my guests just take the microphone at the end. There's Bob Dylan fans all over the world. And uh, as you pointed out, they're, they're very quick <laughs> to respond to anything new. So what would you say to anybody who is t- has tuned in with us? Well, that's an open question. I, speci- uh, related to what? Related to Bob Dylan? Related to the future? Yeah, related to- maybe related to Dylan in this book. Sure. Look, I think we're lucky to have this book. You know, I've, I've, read, a, I've read mostly positive reviews, some reviews that were a little you know, flummoxed by the book. Others that, you know, there were, and there were one or two that really disliked it or pointed out things that they took issue with, whatever. You know, you got to remember, Bob Dylan is almost 82 years old. He's what, 81 and a half. We're really fortunate to be in a world where Bob Dylan is still creating at a level that is, you know, most of his contemporaries have long since given up making new music. He's not only making new music, he's making great new music, you know, music that stands up against some of his best work and is certainly a more evolved and mature version of the Bob Dylan we love. So that he's writing books, he's not writing like children bo- children's books for the money or, you know, graphic novels, the, you know, the history of, you know, he's, he's writing something that is you know, not, I wouldn't say serious necessarily, but, you know, something that we can really dig into over time and get something from is, is really a gift that I don't think we, I think many of us take for granted on a day-to-day basis. We, we debate him online. We bitch at each other on social media. I know the date. No, you know the date. No, it's this version. It's that version. It's this lyric. No, he did you know, it's like all of that is, is fun and entertaining. But, you know, set aside your judgment and your one-upsmanship for a moment and, and revel in the idea that Bob Dylan is still walking the earth amongst us and is imparting new music 
on us and new projects on us. There's, you know, a film in the works and there's um, uh, this book and there'll probably be another Chronicles at some point down the road. And, and I think, you know, that for us not to appreciate that in full measure is, would, would be um, remiss. We'd be remiss. How's that? I'm, I scolded Dylanologist. <laughs> you, you, you did great. You did great. Okay. Well, Jeff Slate, I want everybody out there, check out jeffslatehq.com. Some great music. Great music. I really like Letter from Paris. Thank you. Great song. Uh, Really enjoyed it. But you came highly recommended by Bob Dylan Music Company. And so that means something, I think. Uh, You really delivered in this interview. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your thoughts on the book. I'm glad you said that at the end and not the beginning. It's a, it would have set me up to fail if I if you'd said you came highly recommended by Bob's office. That's like the kiss of death for any interview. But I appreciate I, I you know I have a long relationship with with Bob's team and it's a great team. I've been able to do some work for them. They're always a pleasure to work for. But you know that they ever recommend me for stuff like this is a, a thrill and an honor. So you know I appreciate the 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 soapbox so to speak. Well. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, if I can ever be of service, please don't hesitate. I'm sure there'll be a record coming out down the road when you'll be called on. (laughs) Absolutely. Excellent. Thanks a lot. All right, sir. You know, the Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by people like you. Listeners, viewers, please go to thepaulleslie.com slash support. And you'll know what to do when you're there. Thank you. Thank you, everyone who contributes. Performance of The Entertainer intro song by John Primerano. And of course, this is your announcer speaking. See you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.